Well, good morning, Gospel City Church and good morning, Redemption City Church core group and those who are visiting with us this morning. Hopefully you've had a chance to, to grab your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 22. And as we read God's word this morning, let me invite you that wherever you are, let me just ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And let me tell you why this posture of standing is important, especially in this day and age, because this posture shows that there is no other voice like the voice of God. This voice is the voice. Every other voice, every other social media platform, every other news channel bows in submission to the voice of God. We humbly stand as we hear God's word saying, Lord, would your voice crack the foundation of the idols in our hearts? So wherever you are, let me ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word, unless you're driving. If you're driving, please don't stand while you're reading God's word. Luke chapter 22, hear the word of God. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go, prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it is determined but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. The reading 
of God's holy word. Allow me to give you some GPS coordinates of where we're going this morning. That way, in case you get lost or distracted, you can sort of easily find your way back. I know how it is. If you're, if you're trying to pay attention and, and maybe the kids are around and you get hit in the head with a Tonka truck and you forgot where Pastor Stephen Love was, allow these points to sort of help you navigate. Or as you're listening and the, the buzzer is going off from that bacon that you put in right before the sermon started and you're Navigating, should I go get that bacon and let the house burn down or should I listen to Pastor Stephen? Allow these GPS coordinates to help you navigate this morning. There will be three points. And the points are all centered on who Jesus Christ is. Christ is at the center of the entirety of this text. The plot is controlled by Christ. The place is prepared by Christ. And lastly, the Passover is fulfilled by Christ. And under all these points, there's going to be three things that I sort of display for you. There's going to be a question. There's going to be a connection. And there's going to be a response. So three points under which are three sub points. That's how you sort of sneak in 25 points when you only want three. It's going to be a question, a connection and a response. First point. The plot is controlled by Christ. And let me begin by asking you this question. Do you fear God or do you fear man? Which fear carries a larger burden to you? Notice in the text in Luke chapter 22, verses one through six. I love the word of God because it is so right now. It is so relevant. They are gathering to celebrate the Passover. And we're getting ready to talk about the Passover in just a few moments. But let me sort of put it in a nutshell for you. They are gathering in Luke chapter 22. And here's what they are doing in sort of fulfillment of the book of Exodus. They are remembering when God used a stuttering servant to strike fear into the heart of one of the greatest men alive. They are remembering in the Passover when God sort of used all of creation. He used water and frogs and gnats and flies and livestock and boil and hail and locusts and darkness and death, all to showcase and to highlight his power and his authority. They are remembering how God had the power to killed the firstborn of all his enemies, but spared the lives of his people. They're remembering how after 430 years of bondage and slavery, God easily came down and delivered his people. Folks, they are literally celebrating an event where God has the power over life and death. And in the midst of preparing to celebrate that, did you catch who they actually feared? In verse two, they feared the people. They are preparing to celebrate the power and the authority 
authority of the God of the cosmos and the fear that weighed on them the heaviest is the people. They worship God in pretense. But their actions ultimately sort of display who they fear. What they say or don't say, what they do or don't do is controlled by a fear, not of God, but of this group of people out there whom they don't even know. Oh, I wish there was an application in there somewhere. I wish there was a modern day application of fearing man rather than fearing God right in the middle of worshiping a God who controls everything. I wish there was an application. I wonder, saints, if you and I do the same thing. I wonder if we fear man more than we fear God. I wonder if we come out of acknowledging how mighty and how powerful God is, but yet we then go right back into having our actions determined by what people think and say of us. And I wonder if we give people too much power. I wonder if we are so easily swayed by the fear of man while at the same time acknowledging that God controls life and death. I wonder if our fear is misplaced sometimes. That's the question. Who do we fear? God or man? But saints, there is a connection in, in, in Luke chapter 22. And the connection is this, that God has the ability to even use our sin and evil for his redemptive purposes. God has the ability to take our sin, whether it be fearing man or neglecting him or turning aside from him. God has the ability to use sin and evil to redeem. Oh, let's pause for a moment. Somebody ought to praise God that our sin doesn't have the final word. Somebody ought to praise God that God can even take our sin and use it to redeem. That what took place here in Luke chapter 22, the, the lying and the conniving of the, the chief priests and the scribes and Judas and Satan didn't stop the purposes of God. Rather, it brought about the purposes of God. Only God can do that. Only God can take what is evil and use it for good. Only God can modern day application, take a pandemic and turn it into praise. Only God can sort of close the physical doors of the church and allow a, a, a brother or sister who is now in the fold to sort of be surfing the web and who has vowed never to enter the doors of a physical building any longer, but surfing the web comes across a church that is streaming and hears the gospel being presented and gives their life to the Lord. I've heard so many stories like that where God can take the evil 
of a pandemic and turn it into praise. Oh, saints, the sin of Judas, the sin of the chief priests and the scribes, what Satan did, it didn't halt or stop the redemption of God and neither does our sin. Praise God. That's the connection. He did it back then and he's doing it today because if you notice in verse 22, Luke sort of gives us this commentary on the background. Luke 22 verse 22 says it was already determined. So you have to read the entirety of Luke chapter 22 with the commentary of verse 22. Hey, God has planned this whole thing out. So what should our response be? We have the question, we have the connection. Our response should simply be hallelujah. What do you mean, Pastor Stephen? I should respond, hallelujah. We got the chief priest uh, lying on Jesus Christ. We have one of his own disciples coming against his Lord and Savior. We have Satan entering into the scene. You have the highest religious powers. You have one of Christ's own. You have a sort of otherworldly figure in Satan all conspiring against Jesus Christ. What do you mean I should say hallelujah? You should say hallelujah because all the while this is going on over here, all the while they're plotting against Jesus Christ and conniving and lying. Do you know what Christ is doing? Look at verse eight. They're plotting to kill Jesus. And in verse eight, Jesus is making dinner reservations. That is the power of Jesus Christ. They're scheming to kill him. And he's like, What's for dinner? 2020 has been a crazy year. It's not, it's not over yet. We've had a pandemic. We've had injustices of all stripes. We've had division within the church. We've had a going back and forth of, of what should we do? Should we do this? Should we not? Should we wear masks? Should we not? We've had destructive riots in our nation. And some of us, some of us, some of us are, are freaking out like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Does Christ understand? Does he know? Is Christ paying attention? And Christ is seeing all of this, folks. And Christ is like, what's for dinner? That doesn't show, saints, a lack of concern. What it shows is an abundance of control. Christ doesn't lack concern. He has all the control. Jesus Christ is running things. I don't start freaking out when I let my seven year old son beat me close to the finish line in a race because I know for the moment I'm letting him win. But in the end, I will get the victory. And so Christ can have this scheme and this plot against him. And he's like, hey, Peter, go make some dinner reservations. Why? He gets the victory. 
And if he gets it, we get it. This entire plot is controlled by Jesus Christ. Not only that, but if you look at Luke chapter 22, the plot is controlled by Christ, but also the the place is prepared by Jesus Christ, according to verses 7 through 13. Let me begin by asking you this question of this section. Who, Who owns all the world's resources? Who owns all the world's resources? Did you notice? I mean, they're they're preparing to kill Jesus while Jesus is preparing to have a meal. Christ is showing his control even as he marches to the cross. And I want you to sort of hold on to the thought of Luke 22, verse 7, where it says the, the Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. And the Passover lamb in Luke chapter 22 is telling his disciples to go and prepare the Passover meal. I wonder if his disciples got the full weight that the Passover lamb was telling them to go and prepare the Passover meal in which the last Passover lamb would be sacrificed. But notice how everything, all of these resources are owned by Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. Verse 8 says, so so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go, prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, "Where, where will you have us prepare it? Let me give you a little context behind their question here. This is this is a huge event. Right. You have all of these Jews sort of flooding back into Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people flooding back to celebrate the Passover. And sort of last minute, Jesus Christ tells his two of his disciples, hey, go prepare a place. And his disciples like "Uh, Jesus, you you realize what today is, don't you? Like everybody is trying to make reservations. So where do you want us to go and make these reservations? It's like brothers trying to you, you've been there before. Don't leave me hanging. You've been there where you tried to make Valentine's Day reservations on the day of Valentine's. How, how, do, how well does that work out for you? This is what is taking place in Luke 22. Christ is saying, hey, go prepare a pace. His disciples are like, what? Uh, I don't think there's going to be any places left over. And then Jesus shows how all the resources are his. He says, when you go into town, you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water, enter into the house. That house is where we're going to have the Passover. Just like that. Christ says, oh, it may seem last minute to you, but I got this whole thing planned out. Disciples, you may seem it may seem like I'm lacking resources, but I lack no resources. Question who owns all of the world's resources? And the the connection is, as we think about how Christ owns all these things, the, the connection is that Jesus Christ is never late. It's never late. The disciples, by their very question, thought that Jesus Christ was late as this whole town is overflowing with people. And they're like, hey, there's not going to be any room left. 
again, we, we might receive it late, but according to Christ, this has been planned from eternity past. Remember sort of the background commentary of Luke 22, verse 22. Remember what's sort of echoing in the back of our minds. It was determined by God. Disciples are questioning, where are we going to find the resources? Christ is like, I lack no resources. And our response, as we view that Christ controls everything, he owns everything, the connection is that he's never late, our response should be yes and amen. Oh, Stephen, why should our response be yes and amen? Did you notice what Luke said in verse 13? I love how Luke sort of writes that almost in passing. Notice what it says there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. That's amazing. Luke is like, hey, be, before you so quickly move on to the next section, before you get to your dinner reservation, let me remind you that everything worked out according to how Jesus Christ had planned it. Oh, saints, that should give us motivation for living Christ-like lives, that everything will work out as Jesus Christ has planned it. Let us live through the wisdom that is found in verse 13. If Christ has said it, it's done. If Christ has told us to do something, when we get there, we're going to find it just as Christ has said. Beloved, Christ says he's going to sanctify us, which means that we're going to be killing sin more and more tomorrow than what we did today. And beloved, as we make this journey, we're going to find out that Jesus Christ wasn't lying. He's making us more and more into his image. Christ says when we get to glory, as we talk about the kingdom coming in just a moment, when we get there, guess what we're going to find? What Pastor Trent alluded to earlier, every race and every tribe and every tongue and every people group is going to be there. We may sit back in our current lives and say, man, it is so divided, but Christ gave a promise. And just like the disciples found out, when we get to glory, we're going to find out, we're going to find it just as Jesus Christ said. We can trust, we can rest, we can sleep in what Christ has said. We might not see it, but Christ knows. So our response to the place that is prepared by Christ, our response is yes and amen. Point three, as we sort of move into this Passover that is fulfilled by Jesus Christ, we notice the next section of verses 14 through 23 of Luke chapter 22. And as we enter into this last section of Luke 22, let me ask you this question. Who would you eat your final meal with? If you could pick anybody, 
Who would you eat your final meal with? I imagine some of you saying, well, well obviously my, my spouse, I would love my spouse to be there. If I, if I knew my, my time was sort of coming, I would, I would love my kids to be there. Maybe some of my best friends, maybe some of my, my favorite family members, not my non-favorite family members, but the ones I like the most. I would love for them to be there at my final meal. This, this would be a great gathering of all those people who I like. Did you notice who Christ eats his last meal with? We can't sort of run past this. Christ is eating his last meal, saints, with a group of ragtag disciples. One guy at the table is getting ready to betray him. One guy is getting ready to deny him three times. They're all getting ready to argue about in the next section of Luke chapter 22, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Get that? Christ's sort of last meal, this Passover meal with his disciples and his disciples are arguing about who is the greatest among them. Their backgrounds, their cultures are sort of feeding into this argument. Christ is getting ready to go to Calvary. They're distracted because they're worried about who at this table is the greatest. That's who Christ is spending his last meal with. And saints, that shouldn't shock us. That shouldn't surprise us. Because Christ is spending this meal with the same type of people that he spent his life with. That is broken people who are desperately in need of the Passover lamb. Broken people who are desperately in need of for their sins to be covered and for the wrath of God to be taken away. Christ is spending his final moments in the same way that he spent all the moments of his life. And that is with redemption in mind. Christ came to redeem. Christ came to call the broken. Christ came to bring back the sinful, the rebellious, those who run away from Jesus Christ and God on a regular basis. So surely in his final hours, he's going to be spending it with the same type of people that he's getting ready to go to the cross for. Shouldn't shock us. That Christ is sitting there, disciples acting a fool, are going to act a fool, and Christ is breaking bread with them. The connection, if we look at Luke 22 and these final verses, the connection is this. Christ is the greater Passover. 
told you a few moments ago that we will talk about and dive a little bit into Exodus. And there are so many connections from Exodus to what we find here in Luke chapter 22. Time would not allow me to share all the connections. I would love to talk about in great depth how the blood of the lamb was covering the doorpost. And as a result, the wrath of God could not get in. I would love to draw the connection and say that Jesus Christ is that Passover lamb who covers us with his blood so that the entirety of the wrath of God is absorbed and we live and we don't die. I would love to make those connections. I would love to draw the connection how in Exodus chapter 12, how the Passover lamb was not just for their salvation. It was for their sustenance. How the Passover lamb served as that which would save them from the wrath of God, but it also served as their energy for the journey. In much the same way, our Passover lamb is not just to save us. Christ doesn't just save us. He sustains us. He is our sustenance. We can't take a step after we have been saved, but for the sustaining power of the Passover lamb. He is all and in all. I would love to make all those connections, but I don't have time. So I'm going to just draw out one connection of Christ being the greater Passover lamb. And that connection is this, saints. There is only one lamb. If you go back and read Exodus chapter 12, verses three through four, you will find in the text that every individual household had a separate lamb sort of individualizes the salvation that was taking place in Egypt. Every house had a lamb per house, per the size of the house. But as we get to Luke chapter 22, it is seen very clearly that there is only one Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is enough for everybody. Not everybody. Everybody. What does that say? That says to us that there are no longer multiple households within the kingdom of God. We are all of God's household. This one Passover lamb is enough for all of us because we're all positioned and postured in the household of God. We don't divide the Passover lamb and take it to this house and take it to that house. No, God invites us, all sinners who would turn and repent of their ways. He invites us into his household and he shares the Passover lamb with us. And this is seen clearly in Luke chapter 22. Did you notice all the common language? Verse 15, it says them. Verse 15, again, it has the second person plural for the country folks who are listening. That word is y'all. It ain't you all. It is y'all. Folks, Christ was country. Verse 16 says it again, y'all. 
Verse 17, divide it among yourselves. Folks, the Lord's Supper, what Christ is celebrating here is not individuality. What he is celebrating is a people redeemed by the one Passover lamb. And now we are brothers and sisters in the household of God. It is no longer you. It is y'all. It is no longer me. It is them. This is why Christ sort of in Luke 22 has this common cup that he passes around and tells them to share it amongst themselves. This is why he has the one loaf of bread and he breaks it and tells them to divide it amongst themselves. It is one cup, one loaf. Why? Because that tells us that we are one body. I had an experience. I spent some time over in England for a summer about 12 years ago, and I was visiting a church, and this church still made the practice of the common cup. If you don't know what the common cup is, they, they take the juice and they pour it into the cup, and everybody in the church drinks from the same cup. Yes, that's right. Everybody in the church passes this one cup around, and they drink from it. I got to tell you a story. So as the cup was sort of coming my way, and a nice old lady was right before me, I got to tell you, I'm a grown man, but I gagged a little bit. I did. I, I sort of threw up a little bit in my mouth, but I, I said, I'm a man. I got to push through, and I'm going to push through and drink in this common cup. And I did. And as I thought about it, it was unique. And it was unique because I... This woman who was sitting next to me, though I never met her before in my life and I probably will never see her again until I get to glory. What that common cup signified is that we're one in Jesus Christ. See, all of this is a glorious illustration and an analogy of what Christ is trying to present here. Christ doesn't have many people groups. He has one people group. And what a person does in the midst of this people group affects everybody else in the people group. So if you have this one sort of common cup, which we can't do today, obviously, because of COVID and all kind of stuff going on. But it is a gigantic analogy. If you got a sort of a nasty, you know, you know, people backwashing in the cup before you and they hand it to you, what they just did affects you. And what you do with that common cup affects the next person. Saints, this is a glorious metaphor of the Christian life. What we do affects everyone else around us. And that is seen so clearly as we commune together. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody. What you do doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody. This is why Christ in a glorious fashion sort of initiates what we know today as communion. We celebrate communion. Did you catch that? It's, it's communion. It's not me, Munion, or I, Munion. It is co-Munion. It is a gathering of God's people 
around the finished work of the Passover lamb. And we are partaking of what Christ says is the new covenant. And this new covenant is glorious because it absorbs all the other old covenants into one. And it is an eternal covenant, meaning when we're in this covenant, beloved, with all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're in it until Christ brings us home. We're in this new covenant eternally, initiated by God, fulfilled by God, sustained by God, and completed by God. And we sort of jump in and we glory in the finished work of this Passover lamb, not multiple lambs for your household and my household. It is one Passover lamb, because if you partake of it, regardless of background, regardless of ethnicity, Regardless of political party, there's a kingdom that's established that unites those under the one blood and one body of this Passover lamb. It is communion. So what should our response be? Christ is the greater Passover lamb, what should our response be? Our response should simply be a statement. And that statement is this. <laughs> it's me, Lord. <laughs> it, it's, it's me. Did you notice what, what took place in the ending part of Luke chapter 22? Christ gives sort of this bomb of a statement. Somebody at this table is going to betray me. And you notice what the disciples started doing? They, they started looking around. It, who, who is it? Is it, is, is it that person? Is it, is it Peter, James, John? Is it you? Is it James? Is, is it you? And they started looking around. Judas, is it you? And they started wondering amongst themselves, who could this be? Who was going to betray Jesus Christ? And I tell you, if you're like the disciples this morning, you don't have to look far. You don't have to wonder who betrayed Jesus Christ. You can look as closely as in a mirror and say, Lord, it's, it's I. It, it is it is me. I have betrayed you. I am just in much of need of the Passover lamb covering my household as the next person. I need you, oh Lord. I need the blood to atone for my sins. I don't have to look across the table, Lord. It is me. I have betrayed you for everyone. The Bible says has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you. That means me. But I don't have to look across the table. I, Lord, it, it's me. I need, I need to be reminded that your blood is sufficient for the plurality of my sins. So here's what I want you to do right now as we get ready to transition 
into taking communion together. I want you to get those elements that Pastor Trend and Wes told you to get at the beginning of the service. And I want you to bring those back and just, just hold on to them for a moment. Don't, don't take them yet, but as you hold on to those elements, I want you to pray sort of two things simultaneously. Lord, I, I need a fresh dose of your forgiveness. Pray that. But also pray, Lord, I get to partake in communion with those who are spread across Michiana and your sacrifice is enough for them.